Welcome to the American Maritime Podcast. I'm Mike Roberts, your host. We appreciate you taking some time to be with us today. And I want to thank the American Maritime Partnership for supporting this podcast. I'm very excited about today's discussion. We're going to talk business economics in an interesting market. That's the market between the state of Hawaii and the U.S. mainland. With us is John Reeve. John is an economist with several decades of experience in in transportation, particularly in the maritime industry. He actually managed cargo ships uh, out of Australia early in his career. Uh, He then went to business school and after business school, John joined the top, the top maritime consulting firm in the United States. He's had his own consulting shop for about 20 years now, and he's been advising senior executives on business strategy in virtually all parts of the maritime industry, both in the domestic and international markets. He's also done assessments of U.S. military sea lift requirements and, and capabilities and, and economic studies in a number of other areas. So, John, welcome. It's great to have you with us today. It's always a pleasure, Mike. Uh, great pleasure to be with you. Thank you. So we have your study of the uh, Hawaii shipping trade between the mainland and the state of Hawaii. Tell us a little bit about the study, and then we'll dive into the details. Well, I had the great pleasure to team up with Paul Brubaker, a uh, economist based in Hawaii. Paul has a background as the chief economist for the Bank of Hawaii. This study was the second in a series of studies that we've done in this area of looking at the impact of Jones Act on non-contiguous states. Uh, the previous one was done for Puerto Rico a couple of years ago and included uh, input from a renowned Puerto Rican economist. So basically, we wanted to take an overall look at the uh, market uh, involving shipping operations between the mainland and Hawaii, and then look at the real impact of the Jones Act and the involvement of American ships in that market, particularly on the cost of living and consumer prices on the island as compared to the mainland. And uh, there was a second economic study done of the Hawaii trade. Do you have any, any uh, information on that? Yes, thanks, Mike. I've, I've reviewed that uh, uh, report as well. Uh, this is an anti-Jones Act group. Uh, there are a number of other uh, fairly recent uh, studies in the same regard. And they take a very different approach than uh, Paul Brubaker and I did. So before we get in, that, um, and we'll, we'll have a chance to talk about uh, both of these studies, but I'd like to take a minute, if we can, to put this into context. Your normal consulting work has you working with senior executives uh, of shipping companies or, or, or shippers like Walmart and so on. Those uh, analyses look at you know, business strategy issues, changing port rotations or, or investing in new ships. Is this that kind of a study that we're talking about today? Uh, No, Mike. Uh, Basically, we're taking a step back and look at what happens to this market, uh, the shipping of goods between the mainland and Hawaii. And if you change the essential or basic rules that apply to that in terms of regulation and which carriers can operate in that trade. So, and in particular, if you waive the Jones Act, which applies to who now moves cargo between the mainland and Hawaii. If you waive that, what would be the implications for the people of Hawaii? So 
So the Jones Act basically says if you're shipping goods by water between two American points, you have to use an American ship that's owned by Americans, that's built in America, uh, employs American seafarers, that pays American taxes and obeys American laws, as anyone operating in domestic commerce of the U.S. must do. So, of course, foreign ships that are operating in U.S. foreign trade don't have to do that. So why would anyone uh, want to get rid of American ships in the Hawaii market? Well, the claim is that the Jones Act that uh, requires American ships and, and American seafarers to service the Hawaii mainland trade, if you take those uh, Americans out of those, uh, that operation, that would reduce the costs of goods in Hawaii to the best improvement of uh, cost of living in Hawaii. So you, you, your study looked at the market to see if that was true? Yes, uh, we basically wanted to focus on the facts, you know, not some kind of uh, arcane econometric model, but basically what are the facts? What do goods cost in Hawaii? What do goods cost on the mainland? And essentially prove or disprove the case, uh, whether the Jones Act has any real impact, and particularly negative or positive impact, on the people of Hawaii. Okay, great. What did you find? Well, first of all, the market uh, of shipping between Hawaii and the mainland is very competitive today, using a variety of normal economic metrics. So uh, let, me just, let, let me just stop you there for a second, John. There's only two or three carriers in the market, um, and you say it's a competitive market. Can you please explain that? Well, today there were four carriers of, of late, but now there are three. Major barge operators have condensed their services into a single operation. But the market is not big enough to uh, have a variety of carriers serving this trade. Now, the shippers in this market, and, and as Mike mentioned, uh, we're talking about major retailers, but also much smaller uh, enterprises in Hawaii, depend on regular service, fast transit time, direct calls between the mainland and Hawaii, and economies of scale and operation. You cannot have a dozen operators providing service every couple of weeks or every month or whatever they would do in a market like this. They, you, know, you, you need those attributes. And it's worth noting that uh, in the airline sector, there are only four airlines currently serving Hawaii from the mainland. And these are, again, US airlines. So if you put all those factors together, the, the market with uh, two container ship and roll-on, roll-off operators and a, a barge operator basically is the right number to provide all of those uh, attributes of uh, fast transit time, direct service, et cetera. So if we know that it structurally is a, a, it should be a competitive market, how do we know whether they're actually competing? Yeah, we just looked at the facts. Now, one fact that's really paramount here, perhaps, is that the ocean freight rates, so I, and we're not including inland trucking in this case, so that we're not uh, distorting anything by including what happened there, but the ocean freight rates have not increased over the last decade. They're basically been flat, and that's in nominal dollars, or essentially the same dollars over time. So in real dollars, they've gone down. So if you take a benchmark like what happened in mainland intercity trucking rates, those prices went up by 28% over the last 10 years. So other indicators of a competitive market say the same thing. 
We've had uh, new entrants. We've had companies exit. We've had major investments to upgrade the fleets and terminal operations. These carriers have invested over $2 billion in, in long-term assets, you know, looking to serve this market for the next 30 years. These are bigger ships, more efficient ships. They're the most efficient and environmentally friendly ships, frankly, in the world, powered by LNG if necessary. So very uh, strong capabilities and logistics. And all of these services and assets are focused on meeting the needs of customers in Hawaii. So these guys are dedicated to serving Hawaii, not a broad global market with uh, standardized services. You know, what these carriers have done in the last uh, several years is to really improve the services to Hawaii with brand new assets and assets that are going to be here to serve Hawaii for the next several decades. And all of this came out in our study. That's very helpful. Does the, this other study uh, offer any evidence that, that contradicts your findings as to the competitiveness of the market today? No, sadly, the other study uh, does not look at current facts. And as a matter of fact, they go back almost 40 years to try and find data on differences between U.S. Uh, carrier uh, costs and foreign carrier costs. And they certainly don't look at the competitiveness, particularly in terms of service levels and the impact on what uh, any kind of change in the current Jones Act operations for Hawaii would do if you were to introduce uh, foreign carriers into that market. What did the other study look at? Well, they basically, it's relatively simplistic. They just assume that kicking out the American ships would result in a lowering of shipping rates. Now, you know, in face value, that may make sense because American seafarers and American built ships do cost more than foreign uh, operators from say the Philippines or India or China and also the foreign built ships in the, from China, Korea, et cetera, do cost more to build. But then they plug those figures into a black box econometric model and spit out uh, numbers that frankly are absurd. But the problem is all of those, the foreign cost differentials could well disappear. So uh, why don't you go on about that? How do you respond to that argument? Well, first of all, getting rid of American ships and American sailors uh, may well not result in lower shipping rates. Even though the costs would be lower? Well, once you have to operate in a U.S. domestic service, such as the service between the mainland and Hawaii, you would be subject to other U.S. laws and regulations other than the Jones Act that impact taxes, uh, safety issues on the ships and so on. So the cost of benefit to the foreign carrier could well disappear once they actually had to operate in domestic service under US law. The other thing I would point out is that uh, only around a third of the costs of a, a shipping operation by American carriers today is impacted by the Jones Act. There are several other costs that would apply to the foreign flag carriers such as fuel, uh, the equipment, sales, administration, and of course, the stevedoring, because the same stevedores are going to put cargo on those ships and discharge them. So it's not quite clear at all whether there would be any cost benefit of introducing foreign ships into this market. You, you mentioned the, the possibility of, of foreign vessels 
coming into the market. Uh, they might be from Philippines, they might be from China. Uh, is it possible that there might be two or three Chinese shipping companies who would take over the trade? And, and at some point they might not as compete as aggressively as American carriers do. Yeah, I mean, those would be the uh, carriers at the forefront who, who could possibly penetrate this trade. They're involved in a major way in the trans-Pacific trade, i.e. between Asia and the U.S. and Canada. Um, so, you know, they would be the ones to, to look at first. And these are heavily subsidized uh, ocean carriers, uh, basically owned by the Chinese government. And uh, I think that raises some major issues. I would tend to agree with that, uh, the, the, the idea that they might shut down the service or withhold service to particular customers if they didn't like what they had to say about the Chinese government. Yeah, that's a major concern. I mean, right now we have American carriers serving American citizens on both sides of the mainland uh, Hawaii uh, shipping market. And by the way, um, we don't have Chinese airlines flying people between uh, Hawaii and the mainland. Uh, we don't have Chinese truckers uh, you know, moving cargo around Hawaii or in the mainland. So um, that's why some of these uh, suggestions that the Jones Act be waived for the maritime trade uh, perhaps don't make much sense. So is there anything else uh, about this other study you, you, that, that caught your attention? Well, you know, the way they treat the costs in their econometric model there um, is interesting. I mean, basically, they could have done exactly the same kind of study looking at almost any other kind of business in Hawaii, you know, whether it be uh, trash hauliers or pizza delivery guys. You know, in theory, we could waive all kinds of laws to replace American workers with foreign workers who would work at a lower wage. And then you plug the differential in, in those wage rates into the econometric black box and create the same kind of crazy numbers that come out the other end. And in, in this case of the recent study, uh, they claim economic damage to the uh, population of Hawaii of $1.2 billion. Now that's actually a figure that's higher than the total revenue of the carriers involved in American carriers moving cargo between Hawaii and the mainland. So basically, uh, the claim is that they could move that cargo for free and there would still be economic damage. And there would be uh, presumably at least uh, some concern about the uh, security of the supply chain between uh, the mainland and Hawaii. Exactly. I mean, really big time, Mike. I mean, basically, we have ceded control of that supply chain to foreign carriers who, in the global geopolitical sphere, are major competitors with the United States and uh, frankly, uh, who operate from a very different playbook. And, uh, and, and again, considering how important Hawaii is to some of our national uh, security issues in the Pacific, uh, that would be ceding control of an essential lifeline to our military and uh, civilian population of Hawaii. Would there also be an effect on the broader, on sort of broader national security issues? Well, you know, the Jones Act is a key uh, element of uh, our ability to provide military sea lift on a global basis. Uh, the Jones Act uh, seafarers that are highly trained provide a key component 
uh, as you probably, I know, I know you know, Mike, that uh, uh, the U.S. Uh, Navy maintains a fleet in ready reserve status that are able to move uh, military equipment and supplies and personnel if necessary uh, and to anywhere in the globe. But they don't have crews to do this. When they need to, to man those ships, they turn to American seafarers. And in the fairly recent uh, deployments of uh, personnel and equipment to Afghanistan and Iraq, 50% of the seafarers on those vessels that were uh, pulled out of ready reserve status and then moved our equipment and, and uh, supplies to uh, the Middle East came from Jones Act operations. That's interesting. So it's an important source, for, it's essentially a reserve force for our manning our vessels in times of a, of a military contingency. Absolutely right, yes. So let me shift a little bit here. I don't know if you saw an interview uh, by uh, Congressman Ed Case recently. He's the only representative of the non-contiguous states that supports a Jones Act waiver. And yet he said in this interview uh, that a Jones Act waiver would not hurt the American seafarers. How do you respond to that? Well, that just makes no sense. You're essentially replacing them with foreign seafarers. So there, there, there go their jobs. And, uh, you know, we talked about the, um, what would happen if the other uh, maritime laws and, uh, you know, or domestic commerce laws would be applied. But uh, if American mariners were still required under the case of a Jones Act waiver, the cost savings that this other study assumed simply would not exist. The study would be even more wrong than it already is. Now, Case actually admits that these other taxes, laws, and regulations would apply. So in that case, and uh, as uh, recently documented by the U.S. Department of Transportation, that would essentially negate any cost advantage of a foreign operation, whether it be ship or by foreign seafarers. On any given day in Washington, policy proposals are created, debated, and decimated by tens of thousands of people and organizations working behind the scenes. On 80 Proof Politics, a guest and I will visit a D.C. watering hole and distill the art of advocacy by pulling back the curtain a bit and taking a look at how they play their part in the sausage factory we call our federal government. So if you're at all interested in how the sausage is made, pull up a chair, grab a drink, and join us. After all, what goes better with sausage than a tall, cold one? Interesting. Let me ask another question in, in your study, um, and I would encourage uh, our listeners to uh, take a look at the study. It's on the AmericanMaritimePartnership.com uh, uh, website, but uh, another, another, and that study gets into this, uh, this next question quite a bit. And that's, we all recognize that the cost of living in Hawaii is, is very high relative to other states. And, and the assumption is that, and quite often the narrative is that it's because you have to ship everything there. And of course the cost of shipping is higher because of uh, it, it's American ships. What was your findings around what drives the cost, the, the relatively high cost of living in Hawaii? Well, you're absolutely right, Mike. I mean, Hawaii is either at the top or very close to the top of all of our states in, uh, in terms of cost of living. Uh, they're in the same group as uh, New York, District of Columbia, California, New Jersey, and my home state of Massachusetts. Now, I would note that all of those other states um, are, and D.C. Uh, have actually relatively little impact of the Jones Act on their own cost of living. So what drives cost of living? 
Now, in the case of Hawaii, and Paul Brubeck, who was uh, really uh, very uh, insightful in providing us with this information, number one is housing. Uh, as people like to talk about real estate, it's location, 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 the three factors that impact the value of the real estate. Mm -hmm. So housing, number one, then the cost of utilities, and number two, uh, number three is medical care. Now, well below that are groceries, household goods, clothing, building materials, automobiles, et cetera. And so what we actually did was to look at the cost of those five types of items that are the primary goods carried by the American carriers between the mainland and Hawaii. And we did an online survey so we could actually look at the price on the same date, actually almost virtually the same time and under the same terms, uh, for major retailers who had operations in both Los Angeles and Honolulu at that time. And uh, we looked at 200 different items and uh, we discovered that if you averaged up the cost differential for all of those five categories, essentially in Hawaii, uh, it amounted to a increased price in, of the basket of goods in Hawaii of 0.5%. These prices were uh, slightly higher in Hawaii than on the mainland. And by the way, for three quarters of those items, retail prices were exactly the same between the, the comparable stores in California and in Hawaii. These are the goods that, that the, the ocean carriers serving Hawaii carry. So what you're saying is that whatever the uh, effect of, uh, of shipping is on the cost, the prices that consumers pay are the same in Hawaii for three quarters of these items as they would be in Los Angeles. Exactly right, essentially the same. Actually, we found in a number of cases that prices in Hawaii were less. So it just indicates that um, you know, and these are big box operators for sure. You could go out and cherry pick maybe this, this little store here and that store there has slightly different prices between the two. But if you look on a, on a apples to apples comparison, it's really, there's almost a negligible difference between the mainland and Hawaii in terms of consumer prices. And I guess it stands to reason that if, if you know, Honolulu is one of the most expensive places to live, waiving the Jones Act or repealing the Jones Act, would not uh, materially lower the cost of living in Honolulu. Absolutely right. You know, on the same basis. I mean, if you go to um, you know, Fifth Avenue, a deli in the west, upper west side of uh, New York City, you're going to find a bagel may cost a bit more than it does over in Brooklyn. Interesting. Well, let me just see if I can sum up here, um, because we're, we're getting, we do need to wrap up. Um, uh, the conversation, uh, you know, we, we Hawaii currently has a competitive uh, ocean shipping service with uh, reliable uh, and safe uh, operations. You know, waiving the Jones Act would jeopardize that operation. It would certainly replace the American Mariners, or, or arguably replace the American Mariners with foreign Mariners. That would cost many, many hundreds, if not thousands, of American jobs. It, it would under not undermine our national security. Uh, expose the Hawaii mainland supply chain to foreign control and, and then jeopardize the reliable service that uh, the American carriers now provide. And we would do that uh, in order to save something on the cost of living in Hawaii, but we're finding that that would not have that effect. Did I miss anything there? No, no, I think you covered it well, Mike. It's 
So it's not surprising that this idea does not have a lot of support. Um, John, I really appreciate your time. Do you have any final thoughts on your side? Well, I would just go back to something we already discussed, Mike, that, uh, I mean, the studies such as some of the recent ones, they focus on the differential and costs between building a ship in the United States and what an American seafarer earns, but they almost never look at the benefits of the Jones Act, particularly in terms of competitive freight rates, the dedicated services, uh, assets that have been updated and customized to the needs of the people such as in Hawaii, and the key national security implications of a trained uh, seafarer group that can support us in times of uh, overseas military emergencies. Now, these benefits are very important and have to be balanced against just uh, the sort of narrow definition of a uh, cost differential that may not even exist. That's great. That's very helpful. And I think um, it's similar to what you your study in the Puerto Rico trade uh, landed on some of those same conclusions. Well, I think that's a wrap, uh, John. Thank you again very much uh, for your work on this study and for your uh, being with us uh, today. And I wanna thank all our listeners for, for tuning in. Uh, please feel free to share this podcast and check out the Hawaii Report, as I mentioned on the American Maritime Partnership.com website or follow us on Twitter at Amp Maritime. Uh, Thank you again, and, and this is Mike Roberts signing off.